Welcome everyone to this ASN podcast. I'm Gretchen Brandt, a nephrologist in Washington, D.C. with Mid-Atlantic Permanente Medical Group. I'm joined for this podcast by Dr. Manisha Singh, who's an assistant professor of medicine at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences. So, Dr. Singh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So, as some background, y'all should know that uh, since 2004, our colleagues with the American Heart Association have been doing a lovely job with their Go Red campaign, Go Red for Women campaign. And this is a campaign that has a global initiative to end heart disease and stroke in women by closing the gap in awareness. So, as a nephrology community, we too should be able to get our voice in the mix to help educate our renal community and the public about chronic kidney disease and cardiovascular disease, especially as it entails women and other populations of patients. And we are so grateful to Dr. Manisha Singh for joining us for this podcast. Dr. Singh was also a recent guest on the ASN Twitter chat, where she discussed the topic of sex and gender disparities in cardiovascular and chronic kidney diseases. It was an interesting and thought-provoking Twitter chat on an important topic based on a recent article that she did for us with Kidney News, and it was entitled Cardiovascular and Chronic Kidney Diseases, The Impact of Sex and Gender, Compounding Underdiagnosis, Atypical Presentations, Undertreatment, and Underrepresentation. So, Dr. Singh, thanks again for joining us today. We would like to begin by asking, yeah, sure, this is great to have you. So we'd like to begin by asking you a little bit about how you got interested in the topic of, and what prompted you to write the article for Kidney News. So this topic has been very close to my heart. Actually, pretty early in life, I nursed from anger at the disparity and the biases that I personally faced through my own life, you know, as a journey as a woman. I could see how my own life was different but then it was different even later, you know, even as a physician when I felt quite accomplished, um, it still wasn't the same. I shouldn't say same, it still wasn't equal. You know, um, equal doesn't have to be same. Then later through my training, I realized how the same disparities impact my patients at multiple levels. I run a CKD clinic and could see firsthand how my patients were different in their presentations as well as their outcomes and their expectations the way they looked at themselves and the way the system looked at them. And the caregiver support was different. Then I faced, you know, then I, you know, um, I had an inherent maybe bias towards women. And then I found this other population that was actually having it worse than, um, than we do. And that was the transgender population. I, I felt rather ill-equipped to have a regular conversation, you know. Uh, the diagnosis and the prognosis discussions and treatment plans would come after you even establish a rapport. But I didn't feel that I really knew how to address this. Then as an academic um, teacher, I did not know how to prepare my, my students for this. You know, we, we emphasize the student, to the students that you have to show empathy. It's actually not show empathy, you have to have empathy. And you can't have empathy unless you have some understanding of where the other person is coming from or what they've faced. So all this was going on and I was reading up on this. And um, then um, the awesome Don McCoy suggested an article in Kidney News. And I just loved that chance to highlight all that I had learned in this entire pursuit of 
finding this difference and uh, seeing its impact. So Dr. Singh, this has been a real journey for you, and this is uh, nice that you take time to share with us. Now, in their article, you mentioned some of the, and on our Twitter feed, we had some discussions about the differences between men and women when it comes to their presentation and treatment and outcomes for cardiovascular disease. Would you like to say a few words about that piece of the story? Absolutely. So um, basically, first thing to understand is that uh, there is a difference. There is a biological difference that's termed as a sex difference. And uh, then there is the gender difference. That is the unique um, role of that human being in relation to their environment, their lifestyle, their attitudes, their whole um, concept of themselves in the society. And both of these uh, factors impact how you react, how your body reacts to a particular insult, and and then how you approach the healthcare system in um, an effort to address that. Now, these differences actually started birth, as we know, but then, you know, the socioeconomic factors start taking in a way bigger role as we grow up. Then there are, the, there are the risk factors. The risk factors, even if they are the same, the impact of those risk factors on the two two genders is different. I mean, on the two sexes is different. As we go along, the presentations are also different. So first thing was the biological, the way your body responds to it. And then there is the whole gender impact in the way healthcare system looks at you and the way you look at the healthcare system also changes. What my, uh, you know, when I was studying through this, what I found was that the women, the presentation of women is different. Now, presentation is atypical for chronic kidney disease patients also. So this is the compounding effect that chronic kidney disease patients' presentation of cardiovascular uh, disease is atypical. And we know, I know, sorry. I know you mentioned that in the kidney news article in the Twitter chat, and that's just, I think something really important to think about for a moment because sometimes, you know, we go through the scripted, you know, like you said, with the medical students and the house staff, and this is, you know, chest pain radiating down the left arm. But as you mm -hmm. nicely um, noted in your article and also in the Twitter chat, this is not necessarily how our population of patients with chronic kidney disease present, and in particular, women and other gender populations, right? And I reading your article. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Even though, you know, the typical chest pain presentation is still quite common, but the the confusions arise because of the atypical presentations. More women will present with something like dyspnea. They'll present with nausea and fatigue. And how many chronic kidney disease patients do you know who will have this exact constellation with dyspnea, nausea, and fatigue? And uh, unless you are um, primed for this, you're not going to be thinking of a cardiovascular disease. You're going to just think that, this is probably just an extension of CKD or, you know, we try to um, fix it in the in the, in the box that we, we are aware of. Yeah, I like how you said primed for this as clinicians and physicians and educators because I think that maybe lends us to our next um, angle, which we had talked about on the Twitter feed as well, when it comes to, comes to research with sex gender balances and research participation. You also have some uh, neat information relating to this as well, and you might want to speak to that um, to our audience and just update them on what we were talking about. So what happened was I started trying to look up the studies that are there. Now, we know that chronic kidney disease is a, uh, is a significant risk factor for ischemic heart disease, heart failure, arrhythmias, and those 
those things present way higher in the CKD population. But it turns out that the CKD population was already excluded from quite a few of these studies. Um, out of almost, you know, over 12,000 studies that were there on clinicaltrials.gov, there were only 2,700 studies that were focused on chronic kidney disease. And out of those, only 400 were the studies that actually combined these two entities. Now, this is underrepresentation of chronic kidney disease to start with. Now, in this population, there isn't a directed uh, sex and gender-based uh, research focus. The global participation of women in research is quite poor. Globally, only 43% of women actually um, tend to participate in most of the trials. And in that, actually, we should be proud. US uh, leads with uh, 49%. But, so the representation in the research cohort is less. And uh, the problem with that is that if you are, uh, you know, you're, minor, you're a atypical presenter, you need more research in that group. And mm -hmm. that whole uh, area is quite uh, uncharted. I was just thinking the same. You were going to highlight the background with the thalidomide <laughs> and maybe some of the history. It's not it's not so necessarily intentional that women or no. other populations are excluded, but more like you were going to say. Yes. So what had happened was that um, after the thalidomide disaster, uh, quite you know, quite I should say commendably, the scientific society wanted to protect the women. And uh, in 1977, there was a ban on women of childbearing potential from research. Now, this was a very, you know, well-intentioned idea. But over time, they noticed how badly it was impacting the women because now you did not study the very population that was presenting in an atypical manner. Now, this policy was reversed in 1993. Now, chronic kidney disease is a very young um, disease as far as research is concerned. Most of our research is coming in in the last 50 years. So that kind of took away a big chunk of the time when maximal advances were happening and skewed the gender bias entirely. Even now I have patients that come and tell me that, you know, actually I'm not supposed to join any research because they really don't think that the ban was ever lifted. So I think that's another nice uh, point that you make that we as clinicians are educators and also taking a history from our patients it helps them to understand that we are engaged and interested and caring about what matters in their world as well. I know in the Twitter dialogue, Dr. Rowe, Dr. Michelle Rowe, noted that in her research with Alport patients that there were more women volunteering than men, and she thought it was due to the maternal guilt driving them to want to participate. Can you just comment a little bit about that angle, Dr. Singh? Because I know you hit upon that in your news article as well, on the way women are better with caregiving and also with donation of kidney transplants and so forth. Yes. So it happens that, the, um, you know, when, when they present as a patient, women behave a little different. They tend to underplay their symptoms. They tend to not reach healthcare providers in time. They tend to, you know, not talk as much about the risk factors that they might have. And, but when they present as caregivers, it's a picture where they're completely out there volunteering. They are, you know, they're happy to be the donors to their uh, significant others, to their family members, to their children. They're happy to be the primary caregiver. I also run the home dialysis program and I find pretty much Every, um, for every, um, I have to say this, every man patient that I have, 
his significant other would um, contribute heavily into the training and uh, care of that patient. I don't see that as much with the women. Uh, you know, when a woman is a patient, the caregivers tend to be more scared, not as available. And I'm not so sure how many socioeconomic factors play into that. And I'm not sure how much, you know, it's just a maybe lack of awareness. Then um, women tend to, um, I mean, they really, they really tend to have, be right out there when it comes to giving care. But they don't seem to be out there when it comes to receiving care. I like that a lot. And that is something that I think we can think about as a community as we move forward. Um, I was just thinking as we're wrapping up the discussion, you've given us so many things to think about, Dr. Singh. This is awesome. Um, did you have any final ideas or thoughts, in, term, in particular in terms of it relates to our day-to-day -day practice and how we address these disparities amongst our patients? Which I found in my practice, the term intentionally inclusive very helpful. And that uh, factors in with, uh, you know, how we teach our learners. That uh, primes us to continue our own education. We have to be intentionally inclusive, and I can't say this enough, intentionally inclusive when it comes to addressing patient concerns, addressing student concerns, addressing their participation in research. Basically, intentionally be aware that we as physicians will have to reach out a little, little um, focus, in a little focused manner to best help this, uh, this patient subgroup. I like that, intentionally inclusive. Thank you so much, Dr. Manisha Singh, for wrapping up our month of February where we have heart and kidney disease in women and other populations as we're exploring this important topic and highlighting ways that we can, as a nephrology community, come together to support our patients better. This podcast is copyrighted by the American Society of Nephrology, all rights reserved. All content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be medical advice. This podcast should not be used in a medical emergency or for the diagnosis or treatment of any medical condition. Please consult your doctor or other qualified healthcare provider if you have any questions about any medical condition or before taking any drug changing your diet, or commencing or discontinuing any course of treatment. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the American Society of Nephrology.